Well, what should you do when a dictator is killing his own people who are calling for a more democratic government? How should we respond to wicked and evil behavior in other countries? That's been the, the really tortuous decision facing the international community. And at the very beginning, at least, it, it seemed as if there was a unity to intervene to protect the civilians under threat there in Libya. It seemed intolerable to many leaders that we should just sit back and do nothing while thousands faced the potential of being massacred by Gaddafi's troops in Benghazi. And so what did we do? Well, Tomahawk missiles were launched and hundreds of bombing sorties destroyed air bases and uh, defenses in Libya. And uh, the, the, the bombing sorties have continued to destroy uh, tanks and military units that have been firing on rebel cities. That has been our response to uh, the evil and wickedness that was being perpetrated there in Libya. This action has caused so many different moral conundrums, hasn't it? Uh, should the UN intervene in all countries where there's a brutal leader terrorizing people? Uh, what about other countries where there are similar dictatorships? What about countries where leaders are maintaining their, uh, their position through secret police, through violence, through intimidation? I mean, there are so many places in the world where there is wickedness and evil being perpetrated against people. And let's face it, even in our newspapers today, we'll see ample evidence of evil and wickedness here in the United Kingdom. Will we ever be able to remove evil and tyranny and wickedness from this world? How would that even be possible? Well, please open your Bibles to, um, to Zechariah, page 952. If you're visiting us today, we, we have been working through this letter uh, in the Bible, this book in the Bible, the book of Zechariah, page 952. Let's take time to read this chapter, which contains two more visions uh, that Zechariah saw one night. Zechariah chapter 5. I looked again, and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. And he said to me, This is the curse that is going out over the whole land. For according to what it says on one side, every thief will be banished. And according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out, and it will enter the houses of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name it will remain in his house and destroy it both its timbers and its stones then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me look up and see what this is that is appearing i asked what is it he replied it is a measuring basket and he added this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman 
he said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed the lead cover down over its mouth. Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, to the country of Babylonia, to build a house for it. When it is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. This is God's word. Just keep your Bible open. Well, these are strange sights, aren't they? What unusual visions. Uh, They're there to kind of grab hold of our imaginations, to engage us, to see the world the way that God sees the world, to see it from his perspective. And this is the last Sunday where we're going to consider these visions before we move on to um, the second half of Zechariah's book. So it's worth just stepping back for a moment and just seeing a significant pattern that is going on in these visions. If you could put the next slide up. This is a, this is a graphic that's taken from uh, Barry Webb's commentary. I'm not sure whether you'll be able to see that from the back, but um, in the first vision that we see in chapter 1, it begins with Zechariah seeing four horsemen uh, who are traveling out throughout the whole world. And it's, it's a vision uh, that anticipates judgment on the nations, the, the very nations that had come to destroy Jerusalem and its temple and its nation. And that's the, the first vision. The last vision, the eighth vision, is a vision of four chariots traveling throughout the world. And they're heading off to execute that judgment. So that's the beginning and that's the end. And in the middle of these eight visions, you've got uh, specific visions that relate to two men. Joshua, the high priest, the spiritual leader of this uh, remnant who'd returned from exile, sort of in the fifth century before Christ, and Zerubbabel, uh, the political leader, the governor of that territory. So there's this pattern, four horses, four chariots, these two, uh, the prophecies to Joshua, the high priest. And then on one side of the visions, on the second and first, second and third visions, it really relates to this promise that God was going to come again to his people. Uh, You can see this if you look back to chapter 1, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. We'll have a look at chapter 2 and verse 11 across the page. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you. So these initial visions are just this promise that God was returning. He'd left them because of their rebellion and their sin over hundreds of years. But he was promising to come back and to to live amongst this remnant that had survived the events of the uh, destruction of the land and the exile. And really, there can be no greater privilege than this, to know God living amongst you, to know his presence, to know his blessing. It is is the, the greatest 
blessing we could ever know, to know God living amongst his people in church, to live in a community. Judgment really in the Bible is to be scattered from God. And salvation is about being gathered to him. And Zechariah was called to be a good news preacher, a gospel preacher, that God was returning to his people who'd come back from exile and as, as they engaged in rebuilding the temple. He would be present to bless them, to uh, protect them, to provide for them, to, to be enjoyed, to be worshipped. And this rebuilding of the physical temple, which is what Zechariah's ministry was seeking to encourage, this rebuilding of the physical temple was just the way that they symbolized this reality that God was dwelling amongst them. And, and the, the building of the temple was what enabled a true worship of God who was present amongst them. And you know what? When God comes to dwell amongst his people, that ch- changes absolutely everything. It is said that the queen thinks that uh, the whole country is freshly painted with paint because wherever she goes, there's always that smell of fresh paint as everything is looked as smartened as it possibly can. Everything looks immaculate when the queen turns up for official visits. Uh, even when we have guests appearing uh, at our house, coming to stay with us, that the whole family's under strict orders from Mrs. Reese to get busy, to uh, make it look like no one lives there. Just to, you know, tidy things up, put things away, uh, vacuum the carpets and all that. I mean, uh, you, you, you understand. Well... When God returns, that means everything changes. When, when God returns, these latter visions are saying sin must go. When God comes to dwell, sin can no longer remain. Sin must depart because God is a holy God. Then sin cannot remain because he's a good God then evil cannot remain. When, because he's a just God, well, injustice cannot remain. Because he's a truth-speaking God, then lies and deceit cannot remain. And that's what these two visions are all about in chapter 5. God's coming, is in, his coming kingdom is just incompatible with wickedness. And I think this has great implications. It has great applications for us as a church, uh, to us as individuals here today, and for this world. When God returns, sin must go. So it seems to me in these two visions that there are three stages to this. Firstly, that wickedness uh, will be discovered in the first three verses of chapter 5. I mean, Zechariah looks up and he sees this incredible sight, a huge flying scroll. If you imagine something that is 30 feet long and 15 feet wide, this is quite a sight. And written on both sides is a warning. It's the promise of judgment for those who break God's commandments. A curse for lawbreakers. On one side, thieves will be banished. On the other, uh, the person who swears falsely will be banished. Now, this is not hard for us to imagine, especially if you're a motorist here in Edinburgh. Uh, we have lots of smaller signs dotted all around the city center, put on poles. And they are uh, sort of loving messages to us that tell us uh, on what basis we can safely park in that area. 
and yet they also function uh, by implication as a curse. A curse upon the motorist who does not obey the commands. And that curse will come with fines. It'll come perhaps even with confiscation of your car or clamping. But let me put your mind at ease. I think these, I think these laws are relaxed on Sunday, aren't they? Don't have to put any money in parking bays on Sunday, and you can park on single yellows. Did you know that in the city centre? No one told me that. So if you came to Edinburgh, it was good to know that. And as you drive around, you'll see these, uh, these uh, wonderful people in uniforms, and they're there to just keep the city uh, free of traffic and unnecessary parking so that you can pay for your parking slot. And they, they go around, and if they see that there's an infringement, their job is to enforce the curse on you. They'll write a little note suggesting that if you pay early, they'll, they'll half the fee. How kind. How very, very kind. And, and, they, and I don't know whether you've noticed, but they've also got little digital cameras which, which are time-stamped. And they will, they will take a picture of your car, and they'll take a picture of the sign so that if you ever dare to contest it, the evidence is there. And when Zechariah what he sees in this vision really is much more confronting and uncompromising than that. This is a huge scroll, like, a, like, a, like a, an advertising board, and is flying across the whole land, and no one has any excuse. Everyone is clearly warned. It goes out flying swiftly throughout the land. It cannot be shot down. It cannot be evaded. Uh, you've heard, I'm sure, of heat-seeking missiles, Missiles that basically can track onto the sort of the afterburners of, a, of an airplane jet and track it down to try and take it out. Well, this scroll is a sin-seeking missile. And it goes out bringing the curse directly to bear on those who transgress it. And here's the point. Wickedness will be discovered. This, this curse is sent out by God and it personally locks onto the sinner and pursues them even into their own house, it says. Wickedness will be discovered. And this is just an amazing graphic picture, I think, of this truth that God is omniscient, that God knows all things. Nothing is hidden from God's gaze. Now, we don't like being looked at. This is one of the stresses of being a preacher. You tend to look at me. And, but if you've been in a coffee, coffee shop and, and, and you know, a complete stranger's sitting opposite and he starts staring at you, that freaks you out, doesn't it? Still looking. Why, why are they looking at me? Now, why do we get so nervous about that? That's interesting, isn't it? Or if you're driving along. And uh, one of our beloved police uh, are driving behind us in a, in a marked car. Uh, what does that do to you? Well, even though you are, you know, following all the rules of the road, you start feeling nervous, don't you? Or is it just me? I just start feeling a little bit edgy. And I'm extra careful. Checking the mirrors. Not playing with my iPod would never do that. And, and, and it just feels like a weight 
Because you know this policeman is staring at you. And when he turns away, now why is that? Do you know what? God sees and knows all things. No person is hidden from his sight. Wickedness will be discovered. But also secondly, wickedness will be judged in verse 4. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. It will remain in his house and destroy it, both its timbers and its stones. Now I would suggest this is clearly a vision with a serious health warning. That those who persist with with stealing in an unrepentant way, so much so that the best way to describe that person is a thief or a person who keeps lying, then the curse of God's word would come against them and eradicate them from the land. There would be no more dwelling place for thieves and liars. No more dwelling place amongst God's people because God was with them. It is the Lord Almighty who sends this curse out, isn't it? Wickedness will be judged. The holiness of God requires that his people become a holy people when God dwells among them. And it was true in Zechariah's day with the Old Testament church. And it is true as we look at the New Testament church. We had that sobering reading, didn't we, from Acts chapter 5. There was no problem that Ananias and Sapphira owned land. There was no problem that they sold the land. There would have been no problem that they kept all the profits to themselves. The sin was this, that they intentionally lied to make themselves look like that they were being super generous, giving it all, uh, away all their profits when in fact they kept some back for themselves. That was the sin. It was the sin of deceit, of, of, of lying. And here's the sobering truth. Peter tells them they had lied not only to men, but they had lied to God's Holy Spirit. They'd lied to God. That's serious. When God is present among his people. And their wickedness was discovered and judged, and they both dropped dead because of their deceit. Now, this is not a um, once-only event in the New Testament. Uh, The Apostle Paul urges the church in Corinth to examine themselves before they gather to have communion together in the Lord's Supper because of their sinful behavior towards one another. Uh, It was bringing upon them judgment. It was bringing upon them the discipline of the Lord. It it says there that uh, some were becoming weak and sick and others even uh, having premature death. And so Paul says very seriously, and we should think about this because we have communion next week, we should examine ourselves before we come to eat of this meal together to ensure that our body life is right, that we're dealing correctly with one another. And when we fail to do so, then there's danger because God is a holy God. Holiness amongst God's people matters because he dwells amongst us by his Holy 
spirit. We must, we must be careful not to condone uh, sin within the church, not to pursue sin. We need to be repentant people. People who are quick to confess our sin, turn from it, to seek God's forgiveness in the gospel, and be quick to offer forgiveness to, to one another while we pursue holiness in our lives. Now, we've been considering this in our midweek ministry training, uh, that, that this change, this sanctifying work is a, is a community project. So why don't you, um, well, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Keep your finger in Zechariah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're, we're called to be serious about holiness as a church, to love Christians enough to follow through on even church discipline and even removing them from our church membership if they remain unrepentant. So look at the beginning of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. That's page 1147 in the church Bibles, page 1147. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Can I lovingly warn you here today, if you're a professing Christian and you're pursuing a life of cheating, of unfaithfulness, of lying, of, of stealing, God's coming kingdom is incompatible with wickedness. It is unbelievably tragic to hear of people who play the part of pretending to be committed Christians, but who are all the time pursuing wickedness and sin. Now, there have been a number of cases in the newspapers in the last six months uh, of people who profess Christian faith, active in their church, and yet were engaged in lies, adultery, murder, theft. That's the sad reality, isn't it? But God is not mocked. He sees. He will judge. There is no home for unrepentant sinners in his kingdom. Turn over to chapter 6, page 1147 again, and look at verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Couldn't be clearer, could it? And if any of these are a description that is true of you today, then I want to say to you that God has loved you enough to bring you here to this church to hear this message. The opportunity for you today is to repent before God's judgment falls, to turn away from such sin, to turn to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness and to, to repudiate such wicked and sinful 
actions. Look at verse 11. This is such a precious verse that follows on. And that is what some of you were. See, there were people in Corinth who, who had messed up sexually. There were people in Corinth who had been thieves, who'd been greedy, who'd been slanderers, who'd been swindlers. And that is what some of you were. But look at this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here's the wonderful good news of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit is at work to apply the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be uh, justified, declared right before God, that we can be washed clean of all the sin that we've engaged with, that we can be sanctified. He can make us fit for God's kingdom. Here's the good news for those who've grown to hate sin and are weary of living in a world of wickedness, is this final promise of Zechariah chapter 5, that wickedness will be removed. That's what this vision in in, in verses 5 to 11 is all about. It's quite possibly the strangest vision of the lot, as Zechariah sees this measuring basket. And the focus seems to have shifted, I think, from personal sin to sort of corporate wickedness. As the interpreting angel describes this, this is the, the basket is the iniquity of the people of the land. And the measuring basket of um, the ephah uh, was about five gallons. It, was, it speaks, I think, of commerce, of trade. This is about wickedness in the corporate world, in the business community. See, God cares not just about what we do on Sunday. He cares about how we live on Monday to Friday and Saturday too. And it's so easy to fall into a folk religion where we think, well, we can placate God on a Sunday. If we show up occasionally to church on Sunday, that'll keep God happy. And then I can do whatever I want in the rest of the week. And this is really one of the original warnings of the prophets to Israel, warning them of the coming judgment that was coming, this this. This loose behavior, thinking they could be religious uh, on one day and then just live however they wanted in their corporate lives. In Amos chapter 8, it says this, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? See, they're sitting in church just wondering, when can we get back to work and make some money? And when will the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skimping the measure? Boosting the price. Literally, that, that's making the ephah small and the shekel great. Skimping the measure. Boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales. This is crooked business activity. Buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Selling even the sweepings with the wheat. And I think that's what's behind this vision of the basket and the woman in it. Now let me just say, just in case... You're incensed and you think this is a chauvinistic um, vision. I don't think this is saying that women are wicked. I don't think it's saying that at all. Uh, Firstly, it it is the whole basket that is the picture of iniquity. And secondly, if you notice, uh, these angelic beings who are part of the deliverance also look like women. 
So women uh, here are part of the solution as well as being represented as part of the problem. So I don't think this is a chauvinistic statement. But it is a grotesque image, isn't it? Of this basket and this woman sticking her head out. Because all wickedness is grotesque. And she's pushed back into the basket. The lead cover is pushed firmly down. She, she cannot escape. And these two angelic beings, they lift up the basket of wickedness and they carry it away from the land to the land of Babylon. Actually, Shina, which is the place where the, the, the Tower of Babel was. was. And they're waiting for a house to be built for wickedness there. And there the basket will be set. It's almost like an alternative idol to, to, to worship. The Lord will be worshipped amongst his people in Israel. And the people who love wickedness and evil will go to Babylon and worship at the shrine of this basket of, of wickedness. And the point is that wickedness will be contained and that wickedness will be removed. Now, this really is a great encouragement in a world where there is so much wickedness that just tears people's lives apart. We've had the awful accounts this last week of the night stalker who was finally caught after committing awful crimes, where he was tried and sentenced. We've had the tragedy of a woman um, getting murdered, thinking that she was safe returning home from nightclubs in a taxi. We've had the announcement of millions of dollars being paid out in compensation to victims of sexual abuse by Catholic priests in Northwest America. These are sickening stories. Don't you long for a day when all wickedness and evil will be removed? Don't you long for that day? Do you know what you're, you're longing for? You're longing for the day of judgment. See, a day when all evil and wickedness will be removed will only happen when God's kingdom fully comes and is established. When Jesus Christ returns, the day of God's judgment against all sin and wickedness. And so, you know, if we knew that um, at 2 o'clock today that the judgment day was coming and all wickedness and evil will be removed at 2 o'clock today. The question is, where would you be at 5 past 2? Where would I be at 5 past 2? God will deal with sin, with all sin. And the truth is, if we've not dealt with our sin before Judgment Day, then we will be cast away from Him into hell for eternal judgment. The lead basket was firmly pressed down and shut. So I want to suggest to you the most important question you should consider is this. How can my sin be removed before the day of judgment? And this is where uh, the Bible gives us such a precious answer. And it's this. Through faith in Jesus Christ. In the letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes this. Uh, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. Remember that picture of that curse flying throughout the land? That curse that would take sinners down, that would totally obliterate them? Christ 
forgave our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away and nailed it to the cross. That flying scroll that is a picture of God's curse that goes out against sinners, this is what it says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He intercepted that curse. He took it upon himself. He was willing to be wrapped in that curse and himself to be extinguished in the place of sinners. My friends, that is how we can have our sin dealt with now before that final day of judgment. Have you had your sin dealt with? Have you come to this amazing Lord Jesus Christ who is in this amazing sacrificial act has done it all that you can be forgiven, that that curse can be removed from you now? Have you done that? Why not today? Why not lay hold of it today? You just simply need to talk to him in prayer. Repent of your sin. Ask his forgiveness. Ask Him to cleanse you, to forgive you. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. He'll do it for you right today. And you don't need to fear the curse. A day is coming when every sinful inclination will be taken away. I say this to comfort Christian believers today. If you know something of that sickening grief over your own sin. If you're someone here today and you're mourning over your sin, as Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Well, here's the great comfort, that every sinful inclination will be taken away when Jesus Christ returns again in glory. All evil and wickedness will be removed. Because we're people who care about the truth, who care about justice, who know that there is a day of justice coming. It motivates us to pursue justice and truth and living worthy lives now, doesn't it? My friends, if there's no judgment, then what does justice matter now? It's irrelevant. It's whoever has the most power, whoever has the most cruise missiles wins. What a precious gospel we have. It has great implications for us as individuals. Have you laid hold of Christ? It has great implications for us as a church, this call to pursue holiness. It has great implications for this world. It is a warning to those who pursue wickedness and sin and evil in this world that the day is coming when it'll all be over. My friends, there is a day that this world is longing for. The redemption of our bodies, it'll mean that judgment day has come. The new heavens and the new earth have come. What a great day that'll be. Let's pray.